0: Wow, the depths of this text, so much, far more than uh, I feel like I can cover in the little bit of time I have with you this morning, but I'm, I'm so glad that we get to dive in. This is my first time preaching here, really excited that I get to do this. Um, so I also feel a little nervous for some reason, so uh, I don't know why, you guys are my family. Um, so last week, we, we learned about the, the grumbling uh, of the, the Pharisees and scribes. They grumbled because Jesus was receiving sinners and eating with them. They were upset at that. And we, we uh, heard from Pastor Ross the first part of Jesus' response to them. This week, we're going to look at the second part of Jesus' response as we dive into this parable, which is Jesus' most famous parable. And there's something seriously wrong with the Pharisees' thinking. And it warranted a lot of teaching from Jesus, So if Jesus had a lot to say about the error of their thinking, we need to pay serious attention to him so that we don't fall into the same error, right? We are so prone to it. We are prone to it even as Christians to fall into the error. So what's the error? I want to just quickly illustrate with a story from my life. I shared briefly last week about how I, I was on my face in tears asking God for mercy in my early 20s. And that, that's kind of strange because my whole, I had grown up my whole life in the church and uh, had professed Christ my entire life. And so there, there was something, there was something that, that took place in me to, to lead me to that place. I, I, I think the, up to that point, the problem with my Christianity, even though I professed Christ, the problem with my Christianity is that I didn't really see my desperate need for Jesus. I didn't really see... That I was a sinner. I I actually, you know, I might have had that one kind of secret sin, you know, but other than that, I I pretty much saw myself as good, saw myself as righteous before God, even thought he he owed me to some degree, right? But the problem with this is that it it caused me to live a life uh, with a poisoned view of other people. I judged others very harshly as I compared myself to them. It also gave me a very poisoned view of God. It, it really didn't allow me to see him as, as the one that I needed desperately. It was, it was more, as long as I'm doing good, then, then he's got to kind of meet me, right? He, he, he owes me. So it, it poisoned my view of God, poisoned my understanding of the gospel, and it hindered me from coming to him. That is until in my early 20s, I realized how desperately in need I was, and that's what led me to my face that day. The problem with the world, the problem with many of us, including the Pharisees, is that we, though we are actually the prodigals, we somehow see ourselves as the good. We see ourselves as the older brother. We identify with the older brother. Jesus is going to teach us to identify with the younger brother today. This text is is really central to understanding the gospel. If we get this story, we'll understand the gospel. So I just want to pray again for God to help us see this story and get it. Father, teach us. Teach us who we are, what we're like, what you're like. My preparation, my delivery here today really unless you're present, unless your spirit is behind these words and enlightening people's eyes and hearts to see you, then then it's a little bit useless. So I I want, it is useless, so I, I just ask God that you would take these meager, weak efforts this morning and turn it into something beautiful so that we can, as we behold you, Father, as we behold you, Son Jesus, your Son Jesus, that we would become more like you. We would see ourselves rightly we see you rightly we see others rightly so come we pray speak now in Jesus name everybody said amen so let's dive into the text you guys ready all right verse 11 and Jesus said there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father father give me the share of property that is coming to me and he divided his property between them Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. So it may seem like the only foul here from the younger son is his behavior, how he responds, like what he does with the money. But there's something more. In fact, in that culture the inheritance was a big deal. You didn't get the inheritance until after the dad dies. And and really, it gets split between the the heirs of, of that you know, that family and and ultimately, you're carrying on the legacy of that family. So basically, the guy's saying, the younger son is saying, I wish you were dead, Dad. I'm done with this family. I'm done with your rules. I don't want to be here anymore. I'd rather start again. I don't want your legacy. I want my legacy. So there's something... There's something sh- so shameful about the son's behavior, his, his, uh, the way that he is looking at money and, and, his, and the possessions that are come, coming to him. Curiously, the father gives in to the son's demands. I have always been baffled by this. Why would the dad not just say, no, you fool? Like, he knew exactly what his son's, where his son's heart was, and he knew that his son would likely, a few days later, go and do just that. Like, doubtless, he had seen his, his son's kind of rebellion th- throughout you know, life, and then it comes this moment, but he gives him the money. He divides the inheritance, gives him the money, and like he probably expected, the son goes and lives recklessly. So why on earth wouldn't he just discipline him, say no? No. Well, the father wanted the son's heart. There's something really important to see in the father's generous giving to the son, giving to the son when, when it would seem like he should just say, no, you shouldn't have this. No, he, he, what he wants from his son is he wants his son to want to be a part of the family. That desire to be a part of the family wasn't there, and so it, it, for, for the father to try to keep his son, he might have kept him there for a little while, but what would his son be doing? His son would be doing his tasks, living in the family begrudgingly. Ultimately, it would just drive a deeper wedge between the father and the son. So he might keep his, fa- his son for a little bit if he didn't, but, but ultimately he didn't have his son's heart, and he wants his heart. Now, friends, this is a This is a picture of God and how he, as a father, wants to relate with us, his children. The father, our heavenly father, wants our hearts. Amen. He wants our hearts more than he just wants our obedience. He wants us to do it out of a love for him, out of a desire. He wants us to want to be a part of the family, want to be with him. You need to know that, that these stories, they're teaching us more than just about a, a, a family. No, he's trying, to, he's trying to show us the relationship, his relationship, and what it's like with us. And so this is a broad illustration. This is broadly an illustration of God, our Heavenly Father, his relationship to us. And it's showing us a couple different things. One, it's, it's showing us that he wants our hearts. He's not interested in forced conformity to his will. Number two, it's showing us that God is, is a generous father. He is a generous father. Back into the garden, we see that, that God just simply dumps blessing upon his creation. He dumps blessing upon humanity. Even after we rebelled, he keeps Dumping his blessing on us, doesn't he? He is a generous father. So God, in this, we see that, that he, he is a one that wants our hearts, and he is a generous God who is not, his character is not even changed when our rebellion is present. His generous, loving goodness towards us remains the same. Now the son squanders the money. It says just a few days later he went into, uh, he, he moved away and lived recklessly. Now let's look in verse 14. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens. Of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Church, when we choose inferior things to God, it often, it always, I should say, lets down. When we choose things that are inferior to God, always lets down. And this man, as he, as he finds himself chasing after what he's wanted, he's been in this family for all this time, but his, his mind, his heart is in a different place. So he chases it, the father lets him have it, but what he finds is that chasing inferior things lets down. Now, sometimes it's hard for us to understand why we suffer so badly when we uh, kind of run our own way, when we sin, why, you know, why does, why does it, why do we often end up suffering so badly? I mean, I, I, again, like, I'm struggling a little bit when I think about the Father lets him go, knowing that he's going to run and destroy his life, and then, and then, then the, the Son is in all of this deep and dark suffering, and sometimes it's hard to, to understand You know, even though it was me that ran away and and I'm suffering, it's like sometimes I just struggle with the suffering. I still struggle with the suffering. Let Let me just, I'm not being really clear here. I want to try to explain what I mean. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand why we would get punished or that we would end up in suffering when we're rebellious. A contractor uh, at my house a few weeks ago, he, he asked me that question. He said, he said, it seems like it's kind of controlling or power-hungry if God just he like throws us into all kinds of suffering when we disobey him. You know, And I said to him, I, I think you need to see it from a little different perspective. You know, when, when we... Yes, God is God, and he can demand our obedience, but it's, it's really more than that. He demands our, our obedience because... He knows what's good for us. He demands our obedience because like a good father who wouldn't let his, his little toddler run into the street, he's holding us back from destruction. If, if you, yeah, God demands obedience, not because he's power hungry, not because he's, he's, he's a uh, controlling father, but because he knows what's good for us. And we need to understand that God's commands are always good for us. I want us to move forward in the text, see that God's kindness is going to lead us to repentance. So the man, we're told, was starving as a result of his sin. He's, he's tending to pigs. This story would have been an illustration for the, for the Jewish listeners that would have just caused them to feel like, Ugh, what a terrible experience. Pigs were unclean, and this man is at his very lowest His suffering, his his giving into his his desires and wants, running away from the father, is now led him to the lowest spot. Now let's look at verse 17 and see how the son responds. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Even in, in the son's realization, we see the character the father put on display what he realizes as he's looking at his situation he's looking back at his old family life is man even the servants are abundantly cared for they're abundantly cared for God's wisdom is also put on play on display here because when God gives us over to our sin because our hearts are not in it for him. We don't, we don't obey out of love for him. When he gives us over, he is wisely letting us discover how inferior everything else is. He's wisely letting us walk into the place where we're going to experience death and suffering apart from him. That's wise of the Lord. Suffering seems to have a way of reminding us of our need for God, doesn't it? When we end up wandering and we're far away from the Lord and we, we are in a dark, low spot, we often come to these sorts of realizations. We come to ourself. We, say, we, we start to remember who God is. We, we remember who, where we've come from. And even if we do that, that that is grace. Many people go through their entire lives chasing power, wealth, money, and they never wake up. They never wake up. So if you have been suffering, if you've suffered in this life because of sin, and that and you came to your senses because of how dark that spot is, know that God has been kind to you. If your suffering led you to repentance, God has been very, very kind to you. Let's look at verse 18. The son devises a plan. He says, I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. So the son has this realization that that he just simply needs to go back and just even be a servant. It would be better to be just a servant in my father's household than to be here. He just wants to get close, whatever it takes. He's like, I got to get back to him. I have to be near my God, my father. I have to be near my father because that's the place of goodness. That's the place of wisdom. I will be taken care of if I'm there. So he devises this plan and he goes back. Church, this is a little picture of repentance. It's a simple acknowledgement of our need for him. And it's a turn. It's a look and a turn in the direction of the Lord that says, I need you. I'm not worthy of you, but I need you. I'm desperate for you. I need to be in your presence. That's repentance. So we see the sun Returning to the father, let's now see verse 20 and see how the father responds in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate together. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Oh, I love this picture. Wow. Wow. Friends, if you have questions about God's heart to forgive an erring lost man, even you today, if you have questions about his heart towards you, if you're in sin, I don't want you to doubt anymore. I want to, let's notice all the ways that the father responds. So look first. The father was not only ready to receive him, he was looking for him. Friends, he was looking for him. We're told that he saw him while he was a long way off. What does that say? It says he was looking for him. If you wonder if God would receive you because of all your sin, think again. He couldn't be more ready to receive you. That is the father's heart towards sinners. He can't be ready any more than he is. Number two, when the father saw his son, he didn't first frown. He didn't hesitate. There wasn't any having to like force himself to be happy. That his son had come home, he wasn't doubting anything, he was thrilled to see his son. He felt compassion, he ran to him, it says he embraced him, he kissed him. And friends, this is this is before the son had done anything, he embraced him and kissed him. Before the son had even gotten his words out, before the son had proven anything. That, man, that young son had shamed his father, had shamed his family before all the community, had, had brought great, great pain and loss to his family. And yet, before he did anything to show himself, to prove himself, the father was embracing him, <laughs> kissing him, welcoming him. Again, see the heart of our father in this text. Nothing was necessary for the Father's heart to be moved to compassion. It was already there. Friends, we cannot change God's character. (laughs) We cannot change his heart towards us. Even in our rebellion, the Lord is compassionate towards sinners. Amen? He welcomes us. He doesn't call us to, to clean up and prove ourselves before we come. He simply invites us to come, and he promises to do the cleanup work himself, doesn't he? Number three, the father doesn't even hardly respond to the son's confession, does he? He doesn't need just the right words or just the right amount of tears. No, he he before the the son can hardly get those words out, what does he do? He calls his servants quickly. Bring the robe, bring the ring, kill the fattened calf, partying. It's quick. It doesn't, it hardly matters yet. Yeah, the confession matters. The confession of humility and repentance matters, but what the father's heart what is shown here is a father's heart to receive sinners. What does he do? He puts a robe on him. What does that 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 mean? It means that he's a guest of honor. He puts a ring on him. What does that mean? He's he's giving him back a place in his family. There's an authority that's given to him. He's given shoes. What does that mean? That means he's a free man. In that time, slaves went shoeless. But this picture shows a picture that he is a free man. He's a son. He's a guest of honor. He is received back into the family as a son. And he's not received as any less of a son, any less of an heir that he was before, he's received in fullness as a son of God. As a son of the Father. And so so I, I keep mixing it up because this story is pointing to our relationship with God, right? And that is God's heart to us. Even us sinners. Little look. A little move of Repentance. The Father is ready to give us full inclusion into his family. Number four, even uh, he he throws a party. He had them kill the fattened calf so they could eat together, celebrate together. And I just want to kind of pull us back into the context uh, of this text. Jesus was dining with sinners, right? The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. Why was Jesus dining with sinners? Why was he happy that they were there? Because he is putting on display God's heart for sinners. Why does Jesus say that there's joy in heaven over sinners coming in? Because because the Father, this, this story is showing us that the Father throws parties in heaven for repentant sinners. The the Father throws parties. So, Jesus hanging out with sinners, dining with sinners, those who are repenting and coming to Him, knowing their need for Him, there's joy, there's excitement, there's compassion. All that Jesus is doing is reflecting God's heart for sinners. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. Friends, this is grace, is it not? Grace is undeserved. It's it's the favor of God that cannot be earned. That's what grace is. And this is a display of grace like none else. This son did not deserve any of this shower of blessing. And yet God pours it on him in grace. And I want you to hear this grace is, while it's free to us, it is not free to God. Just consider the shame that the father would have felt. Consider how because of his son's sexual immorality, because of, because of the, all the, the risk, that he, the sacrifice that he gave in, in giving financially, the risk that he, that he was taking with his own relationship with his older son. The father was suffering in receiving him this way. It was a sacrificial act of grace and church you need to know the same is true for our God God's grace does not come without cost it is costly it cost us it cost God the very blood of his son God put forth Jesus in order that we could be received in this way God put forth the only righteous one so that we the unrighteous could be received like this man. Grace is free to us, but it is costly to God, more than we can imagine. Now there's something offensive about grace, and we're gonna we're gonna see that as we keep pressing on. It was offensive to the Pharisees and scribes. It's why they grumbled. And it was offensive also to this older brother who, are symbol, who is a symbol of these Pharisees and scribes. Let's finish the story in verse twenty, starting in verse 25, see what makes grace so offensive. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Why was the older brother so angry at the father's grace, at the the response? Well, he had served faithfully for so many years, He had served in such a way that that he thought deserved at least a a goat, at least a little party for him and his friends, right? But he never got that. He was angry because the grace of the father wasn't playing according to his rules. And what was the older brother's rules? His rule was that The harder you work, the more favor you deserve. The harder you work, the more favor you deserve. Friends, grace is offensive to those who believe that God owes them for their good works. It is offensive. If we believe that God owes us for our behavior, grace becomes offensive to us. Grace is often offensive to religious people who don't understand the gospel. I think grace was religious, sorry, offensive to me as a young man. One who professed Christ, I still operated with this rule. The harder I work, the more I deserve from God. It was offensive. Upon realizing the gospel for the first time, one woman said this. I know why I want my morality to save me. If I'm saved by my good works, then like a taxpayer, I have rights. I've paid it into the system, and God owes me a good and decent life. And there's a limit then to what the Father can ask of me. But if I'm, but if I'm saved by sheer grace, then my life belongs entirely to the Father. He owes me nothing, and there is no limit to what He can ask of me. You see the difference? You know, there's sometimes there's pushback. That grace can just give room to lawless behavior. If God's just gonna dump his this sort of blessing on the guy who's who's living a lawless life in the same way that he's gonna dump blessing on the on the guy that's living a good life, I mean Why? Why even try? Like, why? Why live a holy life? I want to just ask you: Who do you think of these two brothers would be the more loyal moving forward? The, The younger brother would be the loyal one. If there was a coup, who's standing up for his dad? Who trusts his dad? Who's next to his dad? It's the younger brother. The younger would feel more devoted to his father because of the grace shown to him. And I need you to know, church, that our sinful condition is far too great for the law to overcome it. We cannot just just add more rules and keep working harder for, for, for our sinful condition to be broken. No, what we need... When we are lost is we need help to be found. We need, when we're dead, we need to be made alive. And what that is is grace. The only way to overcome our sinful condition is for God to dump riches of his grace on us. You cannot overcome sin with the law. Sin must be overcome with grace. The son, friends, would be loyal because of the father's grace, not because of anything else. Every member of this church came to Jesus not because God invited us to uh, earn our way to a place at his table, but because he came to us and said, hey, it's finished at the cross. It's finished at the cross. You don't have to strive anymore. The work is done. You're approved, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done. Isn't that right? Now, the problem with the older brother with the Pharisees and scribes, with with you and me, is that we don't identify with the younger brother. Instead, we often see ourselves as the older brothers, as deserving God's favor. And like I said before, the way that that this poisoned my view of God and others, it, it will poison your view of God and others, just like it did the Pharisees, just like it did the scribes. It keeps us, when we, when we have a view of ourselves as older brothers, it keeps us from seeing sinners as those loved by God, as those precious to God, the ones that he longs to have home. And friends, it keeps us from coming to God ourselves. Keeps us from coming to God ourselves because we believe that he owes us something. Who do you identify with more in this story today? the older or the younger brother if if you identify or feel like you have lived a, a life like the younger brother, I, I just I want to invite you again to, to come to the father, come to the father because his arms are open wide he 's ready to run to you, embrace you, and invite you in and if you 've been living like the older brother today, and I think this is so often the case with the church. I just want to invite you to come to the Father in the same way. Church, both the younger and the older brother, the point of this story is that they're both desperately needy of the grace of the Father. Every one of us are sinners, desperately in need of a Savior, and unless we understand that, unless we lay down our our good works, We lay down our self-righteousness. We cannot have Christ. And he's inviting us, those who are dead, to be made alive in Jesus. I want to just close up here, finally, with a word about how we interact with the world. Notice that the father calls the older brother to identify with the younger brother. In verse 32, he says, This is your brother was dead. The brother had, had said, this, your son. The older brother had, had, had spoken of him as if he wasn't even his brother. This, your son. But then the father responds and says, this, your brother, was lost. Imagine how different this world would look if the older brothers of this world, maybe, maybe, maybe the church, if, if we had that view of the lost, that, that we see them like Jesus saw us when we were lost. Man, if we saw people like Jesus did, what would it drive us to do? It would drive us to do the sorts of things that Jesus did. He left his home to seek out the lost. He left his home. He served to the point of the cross Friends, if we view the lost in this world like Jesus viewed us, it'll drive us not to turn up our nose at sinners, but to, in love for our Father, and in love for others, to go after them. Amen? Friends, we're all truly the younger brother this morning, and Jesus is really like the true and good brother who seeks us out isn't that right? He is like the good brother who seeks us out. When the world looks at all people's church, which brother do you think they see? when they interact with you, which brother do they see? do they see do they see somebody that thinks that they have it all together that owes? that God owes them something, or do they see somebody that, that acknowledges we're desperately in need of Jesus? Church, I want our, our church, I want, I want it to be said of all people's church, that we are a church full of prodigals who rejoice to invite other prodigals into fellowship with the Father. I want us to go home with that today. That's the, that's the main point of this sermon. We are a church full of prodigals who rejoice to invite other prodigals into fellowship with the Father. In just a minute, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together, and I just want you to remember, as we come to this table, you did not earn yourself a place at this table. (laughs) Right now is is not a time for you to eat and drink as as, uh, someone that, someone that's trying to basically count you know, your good works, you know, weigh, weigh your good works to your bad works, no, this is a moment to say, God has dumped grace on me. He invites me to eat and drink with him. He invites me to a place in his family. That's what this table's about. So we're gonna go there in just a minute. Let's pray, and I'll give you a little bit more instructions. Father, thank you. You dumped grace on us when we were straying, every single one of us, whether we've lived a relatively good life or we've been totally wandering and running away, God, we are needy of you. So I thank you, Jesus, that you loved us to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you invite us into fellowship with you. Lord, help us to worship you now. Help us to worship you from our hearts. Help us, Lord, to live lives obedient to you because of your grace that you've dumped on us. Lord, your kingdom come right now. Change us, mold us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.